You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Would you do me a favor, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter number 5. We're going to start there in just a few moments. But before we do, I want to tell you about a funeral that took place a long time ago, a couple of hundred years ago, actually. Kind of an unusual way to introduce the message, but here's the story. So, this man died on foreign land, and the President of the United States commanded a soldier or soldiers to go and get his body and bring it back. I mean, they dug it up. I think they call it dysentery or whatever. They dug it up, brought it back to the United States of America. Now, I'm thinking this must have been somebody who was famous. This must have been somebody who ha- has done some amazing things. Well, they did bring that body back. And the president of the United States did attend his funeral. And many dignitaries were there as well. The band played. It was a, an incredible event. The nation flew its flag half mast. I mean, this is all that took place in light of his death and at his funeral. Now, I'm going to give you his name. You may know it. You may not know it. His name, John Howard Payne. Who is John Howard Payne? I mean, is he someone who built a great building, or is he someone who held some great position? Who who was this man? He was a man who wrote a song. Oh, there were a few other things he did, but in light of everything his entire life, if you read anything about John Howard Payne, it's always going to come back to this song. The name of the song, Home Sweet Home. And the line in the song that was famous then and is still famous now, mid pleasures and palaces, though oft I may roam, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. No place like home. And that little phrase for which a world hung on to as a famous phrase that warranted an incredible celebration of a man's life is a phrase today that I hold near and dear to my heart, home, sweet, home. I'm never away from gospel light. I'm never away from 621 Third Street or 600 Garland Street. I'm never away where I do not return and someone asks me, hey, how'd it go? Did you have a good time? What was it like? Where my first response is, well, I'll tell you this, it's just good to be home. There's no place like home. And there isn't. Home, sweet home. I say it all the time. And so this morning, in light of this month's theme, which is praying for our homes, praying for our marriages, in light of that, for the next four weeks, beginning with this message, we are going to be addressing the subject of home and marriage and family and parenting. And we're going to focus on something that that the world and Satan is attacking. And and I today want to stand in, in defense of the home. You know, I understand that there are many broken homes in the world today, even those who have broken homes and broken hearts in the building. I was raised in a single parent home. I'm the product, they say, of a broken home. And so I understand that homes don't always look traditional. They don't always look like what I may be describing this morning throughout the message where there is maybe a mom and a dad. Sometimes there's a grandfather and a grandmother or maybe a single parent like I was being raised. Sometimes there's there's foster homes. There are different scenarios. I, I understand that. But would you please, all of you, would you please, this message is for all of us, but would we this morning identify in Scripture the emphasis that God is placing on the importance of the home, on the importance of the family? I'm, I'm going to go to bat for the home this morning. You see, the family is a little part of the Garden of Eden that we still have left. It's so important. You know, as I was looking, I asked my secretary if she would give me a printed printout of all the families that are members of Gospel Light. Got over 200 families that I was given. And I began to look at those names. I just, went eight, I just took one out of every letter. The Adams family. The Bird family. The Clowers family. D, the Day family. The Elkins family. The Fetters family. G, the Gillespies. 
the Hendricks family, the Irons, the Jones, okay, the Kildow family, the Lane family, the Martinez family, the Nelms family, the Outlers, the Pittmans, are the Robertson family, the Sims family, the Tankersleys, the Vidonigay family, the Williams family, the Yokes. And as I looked through this list, I began to realize how important it is to pray for these families. And, and may I confess to you that I have not been as faithful to praying for the families of our church as I would like to be. And with this emphasis on prayer, God is calling me to take this list and bring it before the throne room. Your name, your family, your children, more often I'm going to set a goal that's reachable once a month at least and, and try to go from there and increase from there because we desperately need to understand the importance of family because it is family that we look forward to in the Father's house one day. The family of God for all eternity. The family has had its origin in the heart and mind of Almighty God. It was the first institution that God formed. And the family was put there to meet the deepest physical and social and physical and psychological needs of all mankind. So therefore, it is important that you and I understand the importance of the family because it's the home that the child gets his self-concept from. It is the home that a child should learn who he is and what he can do and what is expected of him. A child's psyche is formed in the home. How a child thinks, even the philosophy of, of his life, the trajectory of his life is often formed in the home. A child needs to learn in the family the sense of security and a sense of confidence that he or she is so loved and that he or she is worth something. A child gets the concept of life in the home. It is in the home that a child understands there are disciplines and there are rules. And the child learns how to respect authority. The child learns how to live with others. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter number. 29 in verse number 15. The Bible reminds us, I'm sorry, I put that one away already. My bad. Well, let me read it off the screen here. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. The Bible goes on to say about discipline, that physical discipline may well save them from death. It is in the home that a child learns these things and how important these things are in the home. A, a child that does not learn how to respect authority in the home is not going to respect authority in the school. He's not going to learn to respect authority in government, and eventually he will not even respect God's authority. A child gets his concept of God in the home because God is spoken of as a father. And so if the home does not give a child love, and if a home does not give a child mercy and, and, and grace and concern, then the child's concept of God may be distorted. So because the family is so important, and because Satan, ever since the Garden of Eden until this day, has waged an all-out war on the family, I stand this morning to share some things about how important it is. There's a philosophical war on the family. And I don't have this verse on the screen, but this morning God gave it to me in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. He reminded me of this. See to it that no one takes you captive. In church family, it's important for us to understand this. See to it that no one takes us captive by philosophy, by empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. In 1995, 1995, 27 years ago, at a world conference on the family that was held in Beijing, China, a speech was given. It was entitled The Deconstruction of Gender. What, what is that? Well, here's a quote from that conference 27 years ago. The goal is to give members of the human family five genders from which to choose instead of two. No longer do we say male and female. Now you will have five opportunities. When faced with traditional bias, a person can decide on their own whether to be male, female, homosexual, lesbian, or transgender. Some may want to try all five in time. 
Homosexuality is considered the moral equivalent of heterosexuality. For women, however, the preferred love relationship is lesbian in nature. In that way, male oppressiveness can be negated. Artificial insemination is the ideal method of producing a pregnancy, and a lesbian partner could have the same parenting rights according historically to the biological father. That was written 27 years ago. Again, I remind you of Colossians. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not to Christ. Friend, there is a war on the family. There is an increased disregard for life. Families were made to protect life. But today, precious babies in their womb are being treated as non-persons. And in fact, in their mother's womb. In fact, in 1973, in my opinion, the blackest day in American history when the Supreme Court ruled that babies could be treated as non-persons and therefore aborted. Leading in that is Planned Parenthood. I, I, I have absolutely no respect for Planned Parenthood whatsoever. Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, said this, and I quote, the most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its infant members is to kill it. There is a war on the family. You compound all of what I've just told you by the easy divorce laws. You compound all of that with a river of pornography that flows through every technological advice that our children own, even a compromising church where Satan has tried to keep us in darkness and give us the idea that we have to just go along to to get along. And I realize what I've already said this morning is very politically incorrect. I realize that. But there are certain things that should be non-negotiable. And so this morning, I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. What's interesting is we're going to read just the last verse before we read several verses from chapter 6, but this in 5 is a restatement and a reinforcement of the Ten Commandments. So you have that in chapter 5. We don't have time to read that. Obviously, it's also found in Exodus chapter 20, but in chapter 5, there's a reinstatement, a reinforcement of those same Ten Commandments. And then we read concerning his people in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse number 29. A child, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. I love the emphasis there on the family. Here we see that there is a, 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 a possibility to have a successful family. I mean, God has a plan for the family. God has a future for the family. And the future is based on whether or not We will have a heart for God that will fear God, that will keep his commandments. Remember now, in chapter 5, he, again, reinstated and reinforced those ten commandments. And then in chapter 6, beginning in verse number 1. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son. By keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he begins in verse 4, the great Shema. This is perhaps the most important passage to the Orthodox Jew in all of the Bible. The word here in verse 4 is what the word Shema, the origin of the word Shema is here. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Do you get the idea? This is all about the family. I mean, home, sweet home. This passage says so much. And so this morning, I want to draw your attention to some important things we learn about the home here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. 
And the very first thing we see is this, that home is the university of life. You know, I love Champion Christian College, and it's a great uh, institution of higher learning, and it has as its foundation the Bible, and I'm thankful for Gospelite Christian School where the Bible is taught and there's Bible classes. I'm grateful for the college. I'm, I'm grateful for the school, but I want you to know that there is no university your child will ever attend more important than your home. God says it clearly here. These commandments are to be taught in the home. God did not primarily give these Ten Commandments to the government. God did not primarily give these Ten Commandments to the school, though they would be good to obey them and and show them and list them. God primarily gave the Ten Commandments to the family. And God's plan is that faith would go from the parent to the child. That's God's plan. Our children, listen, church, our children need to see our faith in God. They need to see it in all that we do and all that we say. The very atmosphere of our homes needs to, where our, child is, is, our children are raised needs to be supercharged with godliness based on the Ten Commandments. This is God's plan. And this is my hope and my burden. This is the stirring I'm praying for revival in our church that once again our homes would be supercharged with this power that comes only from First, establishing a love relationship with Jesus Christ like Geneva did this morning. And then from there, we begin to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our might. And it results in a godly dad and a godly mom raising the next generation in the home. So number one, home is the university of life. Here's the second thing. Parents are the professors in that university. Congratulations, you just became a professor. Deuteronomy 6, 7 says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. This is huge. Notice that word you. That that word you identifies specifically those that are raising these children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. As parents, we have a responsibility. Now, when you think about a professor, you think about qualifications. So what are the qualifications for being a professor in home university? Well, these qualifications are simply found in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5, and here they are. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, qualification number one. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, qualification number two. And love the Lord your God with all your might, qualification number three. You. You love the Lord. You see, there is a control center in every child, and you cannot control your child. Now, when they're young, it's a little bit easier. When, when they're younger, you have a sense a little bit of control over them. But I can assure you that they will make their own decisions. There's coming a day. And as they grow older, they get, they get a little more stubborn, a little more single. They begin to think for themselves. And though we want to control them, we find out that we cannot control them. And God is not going to force you or anybody else to control your children or to make you behave in a certain way or make you live in a certain way or make your children live in a certain way. God will enable you to do so. God will help you to do so. God will love you to do so. But ultimately, you must decide and ultimately your children must decide. That's why I've always said and often taught that you can't set goals for someone else. I don't set goals for my children. I have desires for my children. But I don't set goals for my children. I desire for my children to love God. I desire for my children to love their, their, their siblings. I, I desire for my children to love the church and love others and serve others. In fact, last week in the message, the list of, of ways that I suggested we could pray for our children were simply desires. Pray for our children to bring joy always with their lives. Pray for our children to be great for God. Pray for our children to steer clear from the temptations of the world. Pray for our children to be saved and to be filled with the Spirit of God. And pray for our children to be used by God to pull Point others to him. That is my desire. I don't have goals for my children. Do you know who I have goals for? I have goals for Eric. My desire is that I would have godly children, but my goal is that I will be a godly dad. I'm determined to be a godly dad. That's what I'm going to do. I can choose that for me, and I choose Jesus. I choose him. And I'm determined to live a life that would be an example to my children. I choose by the grace of God to be a godly dad. 
And so look at it. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can choose to do. You can choose this. If you'd like, you can choose to love God. Look at it. Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You can't choose that for me, and I can't choose that for you, but you can choose that. And so to love God with all your heart is three things. First of all, to love God with all your heart is a sincere love. To love God with all your heart. That's not a half-hearted love. That is a whole-hearted love. That is all your heart. And our children need to see in us a heartfelt, burning, passionate, emotional, sincere love for the Lord Jesus Christ. They need to see that in us. That is what it means to love God with all your heart. This is everything I have. This is my whole heart. We sing about it. We sang about it this morning. Your praise will ever be on my lips. I can't make that decision for you, but I can make it for me. I want to serve him with all of my heart. We're going to sing a a, a response song, Sinking Deep. And in that song, Sinking Deep, it speaks about loving God with everything. And that's what our kids need to see in us because they can spot a phony a mile away. Did you know that? Kids can do that. And your kids need to, they already know that you're not perfect, but they need to know that you're sincere. A sincere love. Number two, a selfless love. That's to love God with all your soul. Because the soul is the self. The whole self. 100%. And this morning, I say this respectfully, but if you want to know if you love God with all of your soul, there's two books you want to look at. Your checkbook and your calendar. Those two books. What are you investing your time and your money in? What really matters to you? What really matters? Your checkbook will always show what really matters. Your your time, your calendar, what you invest your time in. And I say this again lovingly, but man, I'm going to tell you something. You'll see in just a moment as we get a little bit deeper into the message that this is a 24-7 thing. I mean, there's not much time to take a break. There, there's not much time to improve on your golf score or to get your bench reps up. Or to, I mean, honestly, if you've got a lot of hobbies surrounding your personal self and your personal goals, you may find that you're going to have to rearrange some of your schedule in order to, to truly love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. It's just something you may have to do. Because when you love God with a sincere love and a selfless love, the next thing is to love God with a strong love. That's what it means to love God with all your might. This includes your your physical strength. This includes your emotional strength. This includes your financial strength. This includes your intellectual strength. With all of your might. Why is that so important? Because you cannot teach what you do not know and you do not practice. You can't teach that. And so it takes effort to practice these things. It takes energy to practice these things. And that's why when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? His answer was Deuteronomy 6, 5. What is the greatest commandment? And his answer was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. This is the first and greatest commandment. The home is the university of life. The parents are the professors in that university. And let me tell you just a little bit about the curriculum. It's, it's the Ten Commandments. It's the Ten Commandments. Chapter 5 is a a, a reiteration, a reinforcement of those Ten Commandments. And chapter 6 is a reminder that those are the commands and the statutes. You see, parents are to teach those commandments. And what's beautiful about these commandments is they are not cold, rigid restrictions. They are liberating laws of life. It's all in how you look at these things. God would never ask us to do something that would harm us. Everything that God has commanded is to help us. And these Ten Commandments need to be more referred to. And, you know, we talk about the Ten Commandments and how awful it is that they've been taken down off the walls of our public school hallways and in our government. But yet, I wonder if they're in the halls of our own homes. Conviction about that sets in my own heart. I told Ken, could you put the Ten Commandments in a frame and just tell us what it might look like? And he did. And I just said, that's, that's all. Just something to set in your child's room. Maybe in the bathroom. Maybe in the hallway. Just somewhere in your home where these commandments would hang. Because Deuteronomy 6, 9 says, you shall write them on the doorpost of your house. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your gates. 
I mean, there's a reference there that, that they should be somewhere where they can be seen. You see, you'll never have a successful family until you set some boundaries for your family. That's a good thing. It's not enough to say, do this because I said so. We need to say, here's what God teaches. Son, sweetheart, here's what the Word of God says about that. And here's why mom and dad have this rule. Because the Bible says, so we give our children boundaries. And they push against those boundaries. Can I get an amen? Totally normal. I'd be afraid if they didn't. I mean, it's just, it's, it's normal. It happens. I, I, I've raised five children, four, four children all the way. And I'm going to tell you, they pushed. They pushed. They pushed the boundaries. Oftentimes, if this was a boundary, and, and my kids would push against that boundary, and mom and I would... Would, would, would talk, and we'd pray and reinforce that in our homes, and, 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 and they'd push it, and they'd, sometimes we'd have a little pushback, and it'd get a little, I, I mean physically, I'm talking about just emotionally. But when your children, listen, they find their sense of security in those boundaries. They do. That's where children find a sense of security. They need these boundaries. Listen, if they can push through your boundaries, guess what? They're going to find another group that has boundaries, and it's not going to be the kind of group you want your kids with but they'll have boundaries too. They'll just be different from what you would have wanted. But when you allow your boundaries to be toppled over, when, when there's compromise constantly in your home, when it's all about just being their friends and not taking that stand. Listen, I raised two boys that were, I raised three boys. All of them loved basketball. But Mo and Zoe were very special in their gifting. When Mo played basketball at the boys' club at an early age, five and six and seven years old, he began to get noticed by coaches. And I'd have them come up to me by the dozens. You know, man, your kid can play. Man, he's got dribbles at a young age. And same thing kind of happened to Zoe. And, and, uh, and Joe was a good athlete, but, but small and not as, not as uh, gifted and athletic as these, these guys were. They just got noticed, and so, but especially Mo. And I would get, I would get uh, these coaches come to me, and then Mo would come home as he got older. Dad, Dad hey, they want me to play on their AAU team. Nothing wrong with an AAU team. I think it's great. So tell me about it. And he'd tell me about it. And dad, we've got to play on Sundays. Well, you see, we had established a, a rule in our home based on the Ten Commandments that a subset, I believe, of obeying the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath holy, a subset of that is, is going to church as a family. At least for us it was. And so we had established that. And so when he, you know, he came up with everything, well, I think they pray in the van on the way. I think they listen to Caleb. I mean, he pushed back against that thing. I, Dad, I think, I, think the, I think the coach is a Christian, I think, and, and that's great. I hope, I hope they listen to Caleb and pray before the games. I'm, I'm for all that, but, but we go to church together, son, as a family. Year after year, they pushed against that. It was hard. Sometimes I just wanted to give in. Sometimes I wanted to say, you know what, maybe, maybe you know, we've done the best we can. And, you know, they got to grow up sometime. They got to learn something. And, but God's only given me a window of time to influence my children under the roof of my home. And so we, we didn't allow them to push back on that. Well, they pushed against it, but we didn't, we didn't give up. And, you know, I believe that our children today, and three of them were on this platform, three of the five uh, leading and participating in worship today, it's not by accident. It was hard work. There were late nights and conversations and Bible devotions, and this is why we believe this, son. I know you don't understand it, but one day you will, and you'll be thankful that Dad didn't didn't turn down, didn't, didn't give up on this. My wife and I tried to not make ourselves the issue. We made God the issue. You ever been stopped by a state trooper? Wow, nobody. Wow, okay. Okay, let's ask it again. Now that you're in church, have you ever been stopped by a policeman? Good, okay. I just asked it wrong. So I get stopped about six months ago. I get pulled over. I got Bentley with me. Oh, first words out of his mouth. Papa, I'm telling mom and dad. First words, oh, what did you do wrong? Oh, man, it's awful. I'm like, hey, well, you know, I'm, I'm nervous. I'm, you know, I'm like, oh, man, you know, so I'm, I'm just standing there, you know, you, hands on the stairway, you know, I mean, everything's perfect. He comes up and just a gentleman said, sir, um, can I see your license? Yes, sir, sure, yeah. You know, it's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah, here you go. You know, give him that license. He said, I'll, I'll be right back. 
I said, you do know, sir, that you were, uh, we have an ordinance here that it's a uh, speed limit's 45, uh, 35, and you're going 45. You do know that, right? Yeah, yeah well, I, yeah, I was, uh, I was talking to my grandson about the Bible, actually, and, you know, <laughs> got to spiritualize it. I don't think I said that, but anyway. And uh, he went back to the car, and boy, Bentley, Papa, what? you're in trouble. Oh, Papa, what's going to happen? Now, they never told, he never told Joe and Tiffany. He told me he was going to tell them, but let me tell you the end of the story. So he comes back, and, well, actually, when he was back there riding or doing something, I told Bentley, I said, Bentley, He's not doing anything I did wrong, and he's enforcing the law. It's not about him. He's a good guy. He's a good man. He's, he's our friend. All he's doing is enforcing the law. He's, he's super nice. He's, he's handling this just like he should. It, he's not the issue, Bentley. I said, so let's remember, Papa, I went over the speed limit, and when you do that, when you break the law, there are, there are penalties for that. So we kind of had a great talk, a teaching moment. He comes back, he hands me back my license. He said, are you the same Capace that owns that Hogs Burgers? I said, yeah. He said, man, I love those things. He said, thanks for that 25% discount. Slow down. <laughs> man, I got out of there 35 miles an hour. Hallelujah. My suggestion is start a burger truck and give a discount to every cop you see. It's a blessing. Amen. Old Bentley said, Papa! incredible. I say, yeah, man. Anyway, I say all that to say the issue was not the trooper. The issue was I broke the law. Are you with me? See, sometimes I think we take it all on ourselves. That's why I think God said, look, put these everywhere. Put these commandments everywhere. Look, refer to them. Say, look, this is what God says. This is what God says. This is why we do this. This is what the Bible says. Number four, not only is home the university of life and parents are the professors in that university and the Ten Commandments are the curriculum, but children are the students. In Deuteronomy 6-7, we read very clearly that you shall teach them diligently to your children. To your children. You see, enroll them early in this university of life. In fact, if I could suggest maybe enrolling them nine months before they're born. Soon as you find out that God has given you a child, begin to pray for them, read them scriptures. I've heard some wonderful stories. In fact, I've had more than one mom, maybe dozens and dozens, that have said, every time you preach, preacher, he goes on a kicking tirade. I said, he's already rebelling against the truth already. Oh, yeah. Start early. Enroll them early. Listen, someone was asked, Give me, a, uh, give me a child until he is seven, and anybody can have him from then on. <laughs> it's interesting. I think what they meant there was by the time they're seven, their character is formed. Start early. Children are yours to raise. It's not the church's responsibility to raise your children. It's not the Christian school's responsibility to raise your children. A few years ago, we recognized that we were keeping our families way too busy here at Gospel Life. We had church two and three nights a week it seemed like and activities all the time and soul winning every night i i never forget one of the aha moments in my life was when a parent asked a parent if something and they said well all seven nights we're going to be at the church this week for something or another and they didn't say it happily and so we began to slowly rearrange we we had gotten it i mean it was almost as if you had to depend on us to raise your children because we didn't give you a chance to and so we've slowed things down Because we believe that although church is important and we have church services and we have small groups and we have gatherings and we have a house of prayer once a month now and we've got things that are going on here, you can't do it all and we understand that. But I'm going to tell you, one of the reasons why we did step back is we had a discussion about we're not giving our parents the time they need really to focus on their families and pour into their families because it is their responsibility. Number five. Life is the laboratory. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 7, 8, and 9. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets upon your eyes. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Do you get the idea? The idea here is that life itself is where these things are taught. It's just everywhere. 
I mean, when you sit, when you walk, when you lie down, when you rise. You think, man, I, don't, I was thinking about trying to get 10 minutes in there for me. Good luck. Good luck. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room in there, is there? I mean, this is pretty much 24-7. It's just about all the time. But this is the emphasis on the importance of our children learning everywhere how to be, how to obey God, how to know God, how to experience God. I wrote down here just how do you teach your kids the Word of God? First of all, teach them convictionally. Look at the text in Deuteronomy 6 6. And these are the words that I command you today they shall be on your heart. Because if they're not in your heart, you're not going to be able to teach them. So first, it has to be you getting these commandments in your heart. Being an example, living it out in front of your children by conviction. And then secondly, teach them consistently. Deuteronomy 6, 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You know what that word diligently means? It just means this. Real simple. Ready? Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Well, I told them once. Once it's like the room's still messy. They're still sassing their mom. <laughs> it's going to take a lot of teaching diligently when they're young, over and over and over and over again. Every day, truth upon truth, truth upon truth, truth upon truth. It's a cumulative effect. Isaiah chapter number 28 and verse number 10. It's precept upon precept, precept upon precept, precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. It's just all the time. Precept and precept and line and line and here a little, there a little. It's just a constant thing pouring into our children. And then teach them creatively. Verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit, when you walk, when you lie, when you rise. Just find different ways to teach them. There's all kinds of ways you can teach your children. Bible stories, in the car, put on K-Love, a podcast. You could could get right now media for free. And so I put on the screen here one of the greatest resources our church has that I'm, I'm hearing about constantly families in our church that are getting plugged into this and using this more than cable television, more than movies, more than all the other things. They are replacing it with this amazing resource that we have invested in so our entire church family can have this in their homes. People are saying, families, dads, moms are saying, preacher, this was the greatest thing that the church has ever done for us. If you got the email, then you just click on the email, follow the instructions, and you can have some of the greatest creative ways for your children to learn the Bible. You can have devotions for your family. This is amazing, right in your homes, all for you, all done for you. Just a resource made available by the church that I'm, I'm really praying that our church family will get plugged into this right now media. If you didn't get the email, we must have your wrong email address because everyone should have gotten it. Make sure to call the church in the morning. Send me the email, follow the instructions, and start perusing through that website and looking at ways that you can share God through stories, through devotions with your children. Number four, teach them conversationally. Look at verse six, verse seven. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them. I love this. This is, the, this is my favorite way to teach kids about God. You shall talk. Look at Deuteronomy 6, 20 and 21. Fast forward down there. When your son asks you in time to come. Hey, Dad, what's this mean? What preacher mean by that? My teacher said this at school. What did she mean by that? What is the meaning of the testimonies? What is the meaning of the statutes? What is the meaning of the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son. There are so many teachable moments every day. It's incredible. My wife is an all-star in this. She has, I'm honestly, she has gotten all over. I'll get home from taking all the grandkids out. So what y'all talk about? Honey, that's a great opportunity. Don't you, honey? You are on me like graveyard. I'm doing better. Oh, yeah. Don't take your phone. You'll, you'll get text messages. You'll get phone calls. You need to spend time with those grandkids. So I'll take them all out. Listen, they'll tell you, I've taken, other than Kimber Joe, I've taken all five plus Glory in by myself. 
Three, four hours. That's great. It's a blast. It's crazy. It's the most incredible. We put the radio sometimes on, blast it loud, singing songs at the top of our lungs. Sometimes it's Caleb. Sometimes it's Aladdin. We just have fun. You know, or what's this, Encondo or something. I don't know what they are. We just sing them. We have fun. And then sometimes there's a teachable moment. So KJ was in the car with me and Glory Ann. And Glory Ann let out one of her incredible screams. You ever experienced it? Oh, it'll scare you half to death. She did it twice in the lobby this morning. Everybody went, whoo! She went, ah! I, I, I've almost wanted to tell Micah, maybe don't have her on the greeting team because I think she freaks new members out. Because like, when they come in, she's just so excited to see you. When she gives you the bulletin, she screams. And you have to explain. So she did it twice this morning. It was crazy. Chloe actually had to say at the first service, that's it's my sister. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was cute. So we're in the car, and Glory Ann lets out a blood-curdling scream when she saw me pass by McDonald's because I always stop and get her an apple juice. So when she saw McDonald's, I wasn't going to stop, but she yelled, apple juice, you know. And KJ went, oh, well, be quiet, Glory Ann. Why she got to scream, Papa? And I said, KJ, let me help you with this. I said, KJ, she's, she, she's special needs. Now, she has a neurological disorder. If, you, if you'll notice this, KJ, a lot of kids like Glow that have even other disorders, they sometimes, when they get happy, they, they, they do this, and they get real happy, and they jump up and down, and they scream, and they yell, and they just, it's different. But they, they do that. They can't help it. So I said, she's special. It's just her way. We all have things we do that sometimes we just don't even realize we're, well, that's Glow. So it's okay. She's going to keep doing it, and you're going to have to just adapt. Okay. So I'm out with KJ Laney, and we're in Walmart like a month later. We're walking down Walmart. She sees apple juice, and she screams, apple juice! And she screams real loud, does this. And Laney goes, oh, glow. It's embarrassing. We're at Walmart. And KJ said, now, Laney, <laughs> let me tell you something about these kids. She's special. She just gets excited, and she screams. And, and I'm like, I just sat back. Wow. A teachable moment. This is the opportunity we have. I'm going to tell you, this is better than any hole-in-one you could golf. This is better than any game you could win. This is better than any video game. I don't even stand that playing them and talking to people around the country. Whatever you guys do, great, happy. But maybe put that down for a little while and talk to your kids. You know, I mean, seriously, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about this stuff. I don't know. This takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. Like, it's a full-time job. And when you have one and two and three and four, just compound that with more time and more time and more time and more time. But it's worth it! It's the greatest reward you'll ever have. I have no greater joy than that my children are walking in truth. And now I get to invest in others. We've had a blast, Kelly, having you in our home this week. You're the best. How old are you, 18? 19? 18? Kelly's in our college, and she's just hanging out with us. I love you, Kelly. I'm starting, you start to feel like a daughter to me. You really are. She's special. And I've had the chance just to get to know her and talk to her and realize, even when it's not my kid, I still have an opportunity to show her the love of God. And that how things could be and maybe should be, could be in her life. And all I'm saying is this. Church, we are given a great responsibility. I wish I could say more. I've got to stop. But I want to just close with Psalm chapter number 112. Now, Psalm 112 is amazing. I want to give it to you first in the NLT because I really like the translation. It's, it's, it's just really it flows well in a sense that it's encouraging, but I like the ESV, a word I want to show you that just means a lot to me as well. Can I do that real quick? Just a little fun here. Look at the NLT. It says, praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commandments. Their children will be successful everywhere and an entire generation of godly people will be blessed. I want to finish off with this scripture because at the end of the day, Everything that I just said, this is a praise the Lord moment. Hey, Josh and Heather, praise the Lord. What happened this morning? Amen. Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord, delight and obey. Their Geneva will be successful. 
and, and, and an entire generation. When you guys are gone, when you guys are gone in heaven, and Geneva and Briar and Chiron are still here, what you taught them and the life that you led out before them, the legacy carries on. It's more than just praying for your children. It's praying for your grandchildren. Look at the ESV version. It says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring. That word offspring is more than just my children. This goes way beyond that. This goes to another generation of upright will be blessed. This this is my grandchildren. This is my great-grandchildren. I've stopped just praying for my children. Now I pray for my grandchildren. I pray for my great-grandchildren. You say, Pastor, don't get too ahead of things. Listen, this thing is perpetual. It keeps going and going and going and going. This godly seed, this heritage that God has given us the opportunity to, to, to enjoy. In Christ, in obeying these commandments and, and, and experiencing the success of these things. Listen, I know many are here today. And again, when you preach something like this, I know we're in a culture where there's so much hurt, there's so much pain, there's so much heartache, there's so much regret. I get that. I understand that. It, 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 it can't negate the truth. We must still preach the truth. And there's a lot of young couples that are experiencing raising children for the very first time that need to hear this. But I say this to you. Listen, it may be a phone call. It may be that you need to take where you are right now and say, listen, to a son, to a daughter. You know, I, 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 well, I heard a message this morning and there's some things I, I, if I could go back, I'd do them differently, but I want you to know I love you and I'm sorry for anything I didn't do, but I want from here on, I want to I mend our relationship. Start with humility and then be thinking with me, if you would, this morning of your children and of, your, of, of our kids here in this church that need to hear this and young married couples that are just getting started that need to hear this. This is work. I, I can't make this light. I, I, listen, this is why things like should the wife work outside the home? Are those things to consider? Are, are those conversations? Have we gotten so far away from what Scripture says is the best model? Have we got so far away from it that it's just ancient and it's just, you know, that's stupid. We can't do that anymore. We're living in the 21st century. Or is it worth a conversation? If it means sacrifice, if it means more time, if it means changing our schedules, if it means looking at how we're allowing certain technology under our... I mean, are these conversations worth it for the sake of our children? I think they are. And I I say this this morning with a a passionate heart, but I'm telling you, if the devil is going to fight to destroy your family, your pastor is going to fight to help help stop that. And I, 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 I honestly, I could care less if this has not been politically correct. I am, I am a, a man of God. I am a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to preach the whole counsel of God till the day I die. I'm not trying to be popular. I want to be right with God. And it's not always easy. And we can't always tiptoe through the tulip. Sometimes we have to just say, look, church family, if we're going to have revival, we've got to return to some things. And so I'm just praying that God will take this message and plant it in the hearts of people who know that it's coming from a man who truly desperately loves you and loves this church. And I, I, see, I see times where my potential compromise and my, my focus just wasn't where it needed to be as a pastor. And I, too, am returning. Thank you for letting me return to some things that, that I think are just important. And so let's just... Say three cheers for the family. No wonder Howard Payne was flown back to America. The President of the United States attended his funeral. Mid pleasures and palaces, though oft I may roam, be it ever so humble, there's no place like home. If you don't have your eternal home settled, If you're not sure if you died, you'd spend an eternity with Jesus in that heavenly family, the family of God. If you don't know that, then I encourage you this morning to turn to Christ. Turn from your sin. Ask Jesus Christ to become your Lord and Savior. And what happens is, it's amazing, you begin to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And that love relationship begins to flow to your family and flow to those around you. And before you know it, And God just begins to give you a passion for the things that he's given us in his word. So if you've never been saved, that's the first step. That's the first step. If 
you have been saved, then I encourage you this morning to respond as the Holy Spirit would have you to. I saw one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life this morning. I saw a grandmother. I wish I could tell you who it was. I didn't ask her if I could do it, but I won't tell you. I saw a grandmother rush to the altar this morning. She knelt down on her face. Did you see it? Anybody up here see it? Beautiful. And I look back at her son and her kid and her grandkids and it was beautiful. The two grandkids, did you see it? They ran out down the aisle and they ran and hugged their grandmother. See, her, her, her shoulders were already heaving and they just got around her and then the son came down and got over his mother and the, his kids. It, it was a beautiful picture of the son, single parent home, praying over his mother with her grandchildren. And I'll tell you the last of the story. I saw one of the grandkids get up and he was crying. Six years old. He's beginning to experience what it means to see his grandmother cry out to God for his life and for his soul. This is what we need. This is revival. This is the power of God into salvation. It's amazing. Let's bow our heads, shall we? Father, I love you. God, I pray that you take our service today. Continue to move and work, Father move even as, Lord, you have been moving in my heart this week. God, continue to speak to families, to moms, to dads, to kids. God, restore relationships. Give us the hard conversations. God, we're ready. We're ready. God, we know it's going to take time. It's going to take mending. It's going to take some some repentance, some humility. Oh, God, I pray that we'd be willing to have those conversations, that we'd be willing, Father, to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our might. God, let it begin with the Capace home and then flow just through each home in our church. God, I pray that where the blood has not been applied, the blood of Jesus, that even this morning, God, people would turn to you. And God, trust today in your son Jesus who shed his blood on that cross that we might be saved. Father, I love you and I pray that you take the rest of our time together and bless it. May we respond. May we, as the song says, may we sink deep into this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Shall we stand together?